Hey there. I want to welcome you to In Sickness and In Health, a podcast about chronic illness, disability, medical traumas, and everyday uncomfortable healthcare experiences. My name is Kara Gale. I'm not a doctor or a medical professional. I'm just a person and a patient who really wants to talk about this stuff more. In this episode, I'll be talking about why I started the show and what it will be about. I've also included some clips of what we have coming up in the near future on In Sickness and In Health. We'll be posting a new episode every day this week as part of a series celebrating Dysautonomia Awareness Month. I want to make clear that the In Sickness and In Health podcast and any of its associated content does not constitute medical advice. If you're experiencing a medical issue, please seek qualified medical help. I know the system sucks, but I wish you a lot of luck. I've been there, and I know how hard it can be to find the help you need and then actually get that help while navigating the murky waters of our healthcare system. The whole thing's a big mess. We all know that. But I hope the show will help you feel a little less alone while you're in those waters. We're all going through this together, but I cannot stress enough just how different we all are, even if we were to have identical medical files. There are so many factors that go into shaping a person's experience of health and illness. And just because something worked for one person does not mean it will work for you or for anyone else. So I want to ask my audience to respect the very personal decisions of my guests and remember that the choices of others do not affect or reflect anything onto your own choices. In Sickness and in Health won't be focusing so much on those big picture issues of everything that's so wrong with our very broken system. Those conversations are already happening, and we'll certainly be touching on them. But with this podcast, I'm really excited to give patients a chance to tell their stories and to help further an understanding of the patient experience in those conversations about healthcare that so rarely involve actual sick people. We'll be talking about things like working and relationships and exploring what health really means when you're sick all of the time. It's a show about life life and where it intersects with our health. But the show won't just be by, about, and for sick people. We're also looking at topics like health literacy, advocacy, women's health, end-of-life issues, and some of the systemic issues that leave marginalized groups at such a disadvantage. We want to reach the still undiagnosed and patients with chronic health conditions, but I hope in sickness and in health we'll speak to caregivers and healthcare providers and also... Well, everyone, because at some point, everyone will be a patient. Health issues are stigmatized and difficult to talk about. People don't know what to say when someone is going through a difficult time with their health, so we've constructed this ridiculous culture of silence around this stuff. That's something that really needs to change. According to the CDC, as of 2010, one in two American adults is living with a chronic health condition. That's bananas. It's especially bananas that we're all wandering around pretending we're healthy, or that we will be forever. By talking about this stuff, I hope we can normalize these issues and reduce the stigma so we can all feel a little less alone and a lot more comfortable talking about it. Working on the podcast has been a long and slow, but amazing experience. I've connected with old friends and had the opportunity to make new ones. And I finally have an excuse to ask people extremely personal questions about their health, because I am fascinated by this stuff. 
I've learned so much along the way, both about the chronic illness experience and about myself. I've blogged a bit about what I've learned, and you can read that all at insicknesspod.com blog. Doing this show has been very challenging for a number of reasons. I'm still figuring out how to record people in their natural habitats, so the audio won't always be great. I'm learning as I go, and the sound quality of my interviews will only get better with time. Another occupational hazard of doing a show about illness that didn't occur to me before but seems so obvious now is that guests have to cancel a lot because they're sick or in the hospital. I myself spent most of the month of October either sick in bed or in the bathroom, but definitely not able to work on the podcast or anything else for that matter. I don't really believe in miracles, but it is something of a miracle that I actually got this show done and out when I said I would. I hope to release episodes every Tuesday, but may not always get them done in time. But if you subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or YouTube, follow us on social media at InSicknessPod, or sign up for our newsletter at InSicknessPod.com, you'll never miss an episode. There's going to be a lot of talk on In Sickness and In Health about medical conditions that people may not know much about. We'll try not to bore you with too much medical mumbo-jumbo on the show, but we will provide links in the show notes that are resources to learn more about what we talk about. I want the show to be a jumping-off point for people to learn more. I'm launching In Sickness and In Health with a series of episodes that features interviews with dysautonomia patients to honor Dysautonomia Awareness Month. Look for all the episodes in your podcast feed or check InSicknessPod.com. Like I said... For this series, we'll be posting a new episode every day this week, and I cannot wait to share them with you. The nonprofit Dysautonomia International has been working hard to raise awareness, and their slogan for the Awareness Month is Make Some Noise for Turquoise. So that's exactly what we're doing. With the podcast, I plan to feature a wide variety of health experiences, but dysautonomia is personal for me. It affects me every single day and has for most of my life. So I wanted to kick off the show with a series of interviews about something so close to my heart. Dysautonomia is a blanket term for a number of conditions that affect the autonomic nervous system. That's the part that's responsible for all of the things that are supposed to happen automatically in our bodies. Things like our heart rate, our blood pressure, body temperature, and a bunch of other stuff. If you want to know more about dysautonomia and its various forms, listen to our episode one, Dysautowata. I interview the president of Dysautonomia International, Lauren Stiles, and she gives us a crash course on exactly what dysautonomia is. We also talked about the diagnostic delay that many patients face, and some of the research that DI has been able to fund. I interviewed multiple people with dysautonomia because it can affect individuals with different primary diagnoses in drastically different ways. Myself and each person that I interviewed have a form of dysautonomia called postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I know it's a mouthful. We call it POTS for short. But POTS is only a small piece of what each of us have going on. Like I said before, we are all so different even if we have the same medical condition. That's especially true with POTS and exactly the reason that I wanted to launch with a series on one condition. I call POTS the wedding crasher of the dysautonomias because it likes to show up to parties it's not invited to. It comes up in the setting of immune dysfunction, infections, neurological diseases, and certain genetic conditions. 
I myself and a couple of the people I interviewed for this series have dysautonomia because of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, a genetic connective tissue disorder that you've probably never heard of, but we'll learn a lot more about as you listen to this podcast. You'll see we all have such different constellations of diagnoses and experiences that are all pretty varied. POTS is sometimes referred to as a rare condition because it's something that a lot of people haven't heard of, but it's not rare and it's dramatically underdiagnosed. I have a special interest in rare and rarely diagnosed diseases and disorders. Just because a condition is rare does not mean it doesn't affect anyone. We are out there, and we are falling through the cracks. According to the advocacy group Global Genes, one in 10 Americans is living with a rare disease or disorder. That is a massive number of people that our medical system is just not set up to serve. The future of medicine may offer some hope for better addressing the needs of rare and complex patients. The president of the National Organization for Rare Disorders said recently, quote, in the long run, every disease will be rare. What he means by that is that as we shift towards personalized medicine and learn more about how our genomes affect our health in response to treatments, there will be an opportunity to meet our needs as individual patients and not just as blanket diagnoses. But we could also wind up in a dystopian nightmare, and that's pretty likely too. So, who knows? But I hope you'll subscribe and tune in to In Sickness and In Health. We'll keep you updated on that medical future slash dystopian nightmare thing. We also have a lot of really great stuff coming up for you, including our episodes celebrating Tysonomia Awareness Month that are up this week. A new one every day! You can find us at InSicknessPod.com and on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at InSicknessPod. Like us on Facebook. Do whatever it is you do to check us out on Google+, because we're there too. We'll be posting updates and content related to the show on the In Sickness and In Health blog and on social media. If you can take the time to rate and review us on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. And tell your family, tell your friends, tell your doctors. And stay with us right now to hear some of what we have coming up on the show in the future. I was thinking about the question, how are you, for this particular podcast, just might not work. I usually say good, because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what people expect. Usually I don't want to bother with saying I'm not good, because usually I'm not. And I think they're pretty tired of hearing that. I was sick a lot as a child, but none of it was very serious stuff. I just, you know, I was, I was prone to a lot of infections and things. You know, I'd get a cold and it would turn into bronchitis or a sinus infection or an ear infection. My father's big catchphrase was walk it off. I remember one time I I like sprained my wrist or something along those lines and he told me to walk it off. And I remember walking and being like, this isn't helping. (laughs) We had in my family these two completely diametrically opposed ways of dealing with illness. We had the, you know, completely wallow in it and medicate yourself to death and have everybody rolling their eyes at you, you know, on one side. And on the other side was, you know, no, nothing is ever wrong with me, you know, and and absolutely never go to the doctor under any circumstances and everything can be shaken off, Mm -hmm. basically. So it has created a really interesting war in my head around my own illness and around illness in general. You know, everybody wants to be healthy and everybody wants to feel 100%. Of Of course. At that time, I didn't know about any of this. All I could do to describe it was like, I don't feel good today. And it started being every day. The overwhelming part to deal with is not so much actually the physical symptoms of being sick, but acknowledging 
things are not necessarily okay. Because it's like an awkward thing to be like, what's going on with my body? I went through a phase when I first got sick, as, as probably many people do, of thinking that I must have just had a bad flu or I had food poisoning and it would just go away in a week or two. And then, you know, weeks drag into months and months drag into years. I had already been struggling and when things got worse, I was just, I, you know, I was, it can't get worse. I couldn't let it get worse. I'll think, oh, it's not that bad. I shouldn't be complaining. There are people out there that have worse. Well, I don't want any more syndrome diagnoses, so I don't <laughs> want imposter syndrome. My own denial was incredibly complicated because it didn't look like denial. And I thought that somehow through sheer willpower alone, I would be able to exercise a virus from my body. When I do get sick or when something is wrong, I feel tremendous guilt. <laughs> I also instinctively jump to the fear that I'm being a hypochondriac. So sometimes I don't go to the doctor when I should because I'm convinced they're gonna tell me that nothing is wrong and I'll have wasted their time. Because I will suffer through sickness and I will suffer through, I, I, I have a low tolerance for other people when they're sick because mm -hmm. I'm like, why don't you just suck it up? Right. I, I have to suck it up when I don't. I don't really have to suck it up. I have to suck it up, so you should have to suck it up too. And that's just a ridiculous false comparison. There's a lot of things with chronic illness that you can put on a brave face and slap some lipstick on and still go out of the house. But when you have something so physically limiting that you can't stand at all, um, it's hard to, to fake it till you make it. The first two years of being ill, I was in total emotional denial and did not appear to be. Nobody wants to see themselves as weak mm -hmm. and whatever, whatever that means because that can mean different things to different people. Oh, this isn't normal. Pretty much my whole life I've dealt with like different complications and so this is just not something to play around with. So I knew all of my facts, you know, I knew the prognosis, I knew all of the treatments, I, I understood what every code on my blood work chart meant. Um, I went online and joined the Arthritis Foundation support group and discussed things with them. I went through a phase when I was in college where I was really, I had so much anxiety about doctors and stuff just because of everything that I had been through that I just wouldn't go to the doctor for a long time. About 70-80% of women go into remission during pregnancy with RA, and I was one of the lucky ones. So by the second trimester, I was feeling really good. Mm -hmm. So here I am saying, yes, I have RA, talking about it, researching it, and not believing it mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, on this very basic level, um, because I felt fine and wasn't taking any medicine. And this went on you know, for almost a year. Left on my, to my own devices, I would have done nothing. I would have stayed, stayed at home, locked the doors, hope for it to get better. At first I thought I had a gluten allergy, so I tried cutting out gluten. My heartbeat would get caught in kind of a feedback loop, so like I'd just be sitting there and then all of a sudden my heart rate would jump from, you know, whatever it was normally to like 180 beats per minute. My head hurts especially bad and I have nausea and I have dizziness and my ears ring and I yawn and I want to go to sleep. You know, all these different things that are out of the ordinary happen when I have a migraine. Everything goes dark and I have to sit down on the floor immediately. I can go days without sleeping or sleeping only a couple hours um, a, a night. You know, I couldn't get off the couch. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. Like, my lungs had gotten involved and, you know, I was having asthma attacks multiple times a day. 
you know, out of nowhere. I wind up having allergic reactions to things that I'm not actually allergic to. I'll like poop a little bit, then get up and try and move around, and then poop a little bit. And it's like, it's five full poops, but they come out when they want to come out. Problems with my joints and my skin. I can bend my joints a lot further than I'm supposed to. Finally, he just said, you need to go, you know, you need to go to a doctor. And then uh, I actually drove myself to the ER, which is probably the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. But I was embarrassed and I didn't want to tell anyone at work. I felt sick about four months before I went to the doctor. I think the three to six month mark, I got really scared and I just thought like, you know, what, what is this? <laughs> this is obviously not food poisoning if I'm still sick three months later. I initially went to the doctor I was 140 pounds. Wow. And you're super tall. How tall yeah, are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm 6'4". And uh, I think I was like third percentile for my height to weight oh, ratio. Wow. The partial dislocations. I used to say to my doctors, hey, uh, sometimes it feels like my bones kind of slide out of place. And they'd laugh at me and say like, oh, that's not a thing that can happen. Luckily, I didn't really experience it from the doctors. And I know that this is fortunate because I've talked to so many people, you know, who had the hardest time getting a diagnosis. And, you know, that's really painful to go through. Oh, we'll just send you home and see how you do. I think you'll be fine. And then I went to the emergency room the next day. It's a huge limitation to a lot of the diagnostic testing that we have is like, unless that issue is happening exactly at that second when they're right. doing the test, as far as they're concerned, you don't have that thing. Right. I was telling them, I think it's the medication, but they're like, no, no, you know, let's uh, get your anxiety down. Then I'd say, you know, sometimes my heart beats really fast and I get that, oh, it's just anxiety. I mean, I have horrible anxiety, but... It wasn't the cause. I had to get really, really sick before I had the confidence to say, no, I know my body. I know that there's something wrong here. Mm -hmm. We're going to run these tests. Oh, there's nothing wrong with you. But why does it hurt? I had a lifetime of negative test results, which was infuriating. No, they, they knew right away. Um, it was really like actually pretty quick when they diagnosed me. Every single test that she ran came back normal and she still was able to look me in the eye and say, I believe you, there's something wrong here. I just remember being really overjoyed that there was something and then really, really angry because I knew something was wrong and here I'd had all these doctors just like shoving me aside and telling me I'm, you know, a hypochondriac. After that test, um, I was diagnosed with uh, restless leg syndrome, mm -hmm. um, which is a, it, another one of those stupid things that I hate talking about because it has a stupid name. Yeah. So it's like, that's ridiculous. I have several patients that have it. Right. It's definitely a real thing. It turned out to be this unbelievably rare benign tumor. And I'm just like, you know, I'm so sick of hearing the words unbelievably rare. It's nice to know that there's like something else there. It was such a huge relief to finally, you know, have somebody tell me like, you're not crazy. This is for real. The conversation happened that maybe it would, maybe I should go get a prescription for this. I could not be treated for the disease for the first year. So I didn't have to deal with the reality of any of the drugs, you know, with the exception of the steroids, which, you know, in the very beginning were necessary to get me under control. What works for someone may not work for someone else. The negative feelings come more so from 
the list of uh, side effects these medicines can cause. Something they say, well, this happens once in a while or this, you know, every now and then, I'm going to be the one usually who gets that complication. It's hard because, like, I take a lot of medications mm -hmm. um, and some of them save my life on a daily basis. I, I wrote a letter to myself on prednisone once. <laughs> prednisone is one that I have really mixed feelings about. I don't know how it's going to affect me down the road. I don't know what I'm putting into my body. It's kind of nerve-wracking. I get Botox injections all over my skull and my neck and my shoulders for chronic migraines. Oh, really? Yeah. And talk about like not knowing what that's going to do to me <laughs> in the long run. Yes, yes. Cancer or death by dying. And it comes with the, a host of the most horrible side effects you can possibly imagine. And I got every one of them. It was one of the first medications that didn't affect me literally at all. Mm. I com I compare it to those nature videos that you see of like a charging rhinoceros mm -hmm. being shot multiple times with a tranquilizer gun right. and not stopping. That's what it's like for me. Uh, right now I'm on the maximum possible dose at the shortest possible interval. It took three years to get my disease under control um, and it took going to the absolute top you know limit of that drug to make it happen. I pushed to find the root cause um, because I assumed, perhaps a little naively, that um, if I could find the cause of my small fiber right. neuropathy, that there would be a solution. That would be yeah. the cause of my POTS and I would get all better. I've had two ear surgeries. One of them was to put tubes in and the other one was to fix the hole that one of the tubes made in my eardrum. I had it fixed once and then it came back and so I had it fixed again a couple years ago and after that surgery, all of the problems that I had had previously were like 20 times worse. So I go in once a month for an infusion, and again, that appears on all of my bills as chemotherapy, which mm -hmm. really upsets me. I've been seeing a cognitive behavioral therapist, which is basically to change my relationship with sleep. Um, I just started, so I have no idea if it's working or not. I went back to the doctor a bunch of times, and they were like, yeah, you know, sometimes with this procedure, this sort of thing happens, and we don't know why. Uh, I approach everything in the kind of a scientific uh, approach. You know, a lot of our triggers wind up being things that we can't necessarily avoid unless we're in like a pressurized deep sea diving suit. A set amount of things that I eat per day, and I know that they all affect me a certain way. And if I throw something that I don't normally eat into mm -hmm. there and affects me poorly, I'm like, oh, I cannot eat this. He gave me a whole... Um, two-page document uh, of things to do that I haven't yet uh, done, so. My doctor said exercise. You just need to exercise. I don't know if I'm going to keep seeing that doctor. It was more along the lines of you're going to be fine type denial, like, you know, where they come out with the hero stories of people mm -hmm. with disabilities who've done great things with their lives. and <laughs> So helpful. <laughs> so helpful. I just love those stories. I've heard get well soon quite a bit as if, I'm just sick right now, but it's hard to get people to understand that I'm sick all the time. I kind of explain it to people just so they don't think I, uh, that I'm in the middle of a conversation. I'm cutting them off and being rude and be like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Having a good day and hanging out with my normal healthy people friends who have no idea what's going on in my day to day. I don't fit in with them, you know. <laughs> they, talk, they talk about, you know, who was out drinking last week. Right. Um, I can't do that anymore. And like she feels heartbroken. Mm. 
which makes me feel heartbroken. Yeah, of course. You know? A couple friends, I think, took it the wrong way. That they saw I was just not hanging out with them for, like, because I thought it was too cool. And that would never be the case. I don't think I'm cool at all. <laughs> I mean, I try to be reliable. I really do. But I can't always be there for everyone. There's also a certain element of victim blaming there. Oh, that big time. That, yeah. you know, you're just not trying hard enough. She'll think that because I'm laying in bed all day, it's because I'm lazy. Talking about chronic illness is, is hard and kind of awkward enough um, for anyone. And I only just very recently realized like how much harder it must be to talk about when it involves butt stuff. <laughs> and I still have a hard time talking about it because it seems so trivial. I was also weirdly silent about the whole thing. Like my family knew what was going on and one or two of my closest friends, but I absolutely would not tell anyone else. Like I just never, ever talked about it. Because a lot of people don't, you know, they don't really want to talk about their health or they don't feel comfortable talking about it. The fact that nobody left me out of the office and said, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, the fact that my doctor issued me a parking pass, you know, with the wheelchair on it, with no problem doing so. You know, my denial totally cracked that day. I was like, I can't not look at this anymore. I think more people actually had to come out and talk about it. Um, if nobody's talking about it, nothing's going to change. Our culture really doesn't have any room at all for, like, saying, yes, I'm sick, no, I'm not dying any faster than you are, and no, it's not going to go away. I started looking for ways to process it. I, I spoke to more people about it. It's awkward initially, but I realize how many people actually deal with issues like this. I kind of talked about it too much probably for a while. <laughs> you know, went from total silence to, you know, telling more people and just kind of went through a deep grieving process that I think had to happen and that had been delayed for two years. My imposter syndrome is reversed. Like, I don't feel healthy enough to, to yeah. be, I'm faking it as a healthy person. Oh, for sure. One time, one of them told me that they're sad we can't hang out because if we try to hang out, you'll just get a headache. There's all the cures that we talked about, people offering cures. Um, there was the person who told me that they had read a book by this doctor who claimed that, uh, rheumatoid arthritis was psychosomatic. But they never really gave me the chance to really explain what I go through on a daily basis. I one day realized that when I say I'm tired, people have no idea what I'm talking about. Exactly. And so I googled how to explain how tired I am. They were sitting around complaining about, like, you know, kind of things that if you weren't sick might sound like a big deal to you. Right. And she just said, I just can't relate to these moms. Like, they're really nice women. I just have nothing in common with them. I don't think they really understood what my situation was. Some of my, my skills that work really well in other aspects of my life do me no good and, and actually screw me up when dealing with my health. Like, whenever I fill out a job application, they're like, they always ask, like, are you high energy? I have to complete the tasks at hand. I have to just power through. Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of motivation works really well in some situations, but it doesn't necessarily um, let me, you know, take a break. How do you answer that sort of question when you have very little energy? Um, it's also very stigmatizing. Um, chronic illness, you know, in the music world, it, that it's a terrifying thing because your livelihood depends on something incredibly physical. 
I've dabbled with the idea of going back to medical school, but I'm a lawyer, and if I was feeling well enough to go back to medical school, I'd probably just go back to working full-time as a lawyer, because I loved, I loved my career. So there was grief in letting go of the big career dream, you know, the, the career I really wanted. And there's a lot of joy in the career I have now, you know, so once I got past the grief, it was good, but I had to grieve first. Because I'm going to school eight hours a day, and being around people, and having to to write and having to listen and be alert all the time. I can't manage school and work at the same time. I did work while I was in school, but it didn't go well. It definitely didn't go well. I don't really know what I need. You know, it's I have good days, I have bad days, you know, and I don't really know when the bad days are going to come. They knew what it was like. I'd probably be getting a lot more assistance. And then once it happens to them, they're like, I had no idea. Yeah, this needs to change. I have health insurance. Um, I have, uh, I, I live in a city where there are many doctors and I'm able to get doctor appointments like relatively quickly when I want them. And just thinking about what it would be like if I didn't have that and what would I do. And I know that there are millions of people in the United States that that struggle with that kind of thing every single day. I mean, how lucky are we that just English is our first language? Yeah. You know, like that just, there's so many factors <clears throat> that go into to being able to advocate for yourself and communicate effectively right. and understand what's going on. It took me two years and over a hundred doctors to get accurately diagnosed. That's like, that's a crazy number of doctors. Mm -hmm. And I know that had I not been um, in an economic position to be able to do that, had I not had really good insurance, had I not had a family that could take the time off of work to drive me, because I was in no condition to drive myself, um, the ability to travel out of state, you know, these are all things that helped me get diagnosed. And it still took two years. <laughs> There's always the possibility, well, what if that's the day I get a really awful flare? Where are the bathrooms so that I'm not panicked looking for a bathroom? I worry about my son a lot. Um, he's young. I, I worry about his health future. I worry about my ability to take care of him. Um, I worry he's missing out, you know, because I spend so much time, you know, lying on the couch or not able to run around, you know, like the other moms. It's really hard not to think about brain tumors when you have a headache every single day of your life. I think every single day I'm like, what if it comes back? What if everything comes back? And like, what if it wasn't just some temporary stuff that I was dealing with? What if like... There's actually, they missed something. And, I, and, and you know, that's a possibility. That's, that's something that my doctors have warned me and, and they've given me scenarios where I need to be especially careful. And this one is very hard to face. And this one I'm only able to touch every now and then in a, in a surface kind of way. In the last few years, four people I've known, um, two who I knew personally and two more who I knew online have died. I worry about, you know... Crazy things like dying 20 years earlier than everyone else. So yeah, there's that dark fear. Yeah. You know, and that one's hard to explain to people who don't see how you can die from arthritis. I've seen disease affect people's lives and I realize that I have a disease and I should live my life and do the things that I want to do sooner than later. Yeah, disease or not, you could get hit by a bus tomorrow. Save my energy for the things that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, take advantage of the times that I'm feeling well in ways that don't hurt me because I used to overdo. It's just playing playing with the deck that you're dealt playing and s figuring out your own limitations but how you can still be successful within within mm -hmm. those that framework. Okay this is my life now this is what I have to deal with 
how can I continue to do this thing that I love right. within those parameters? And there were certain things I never did find a solution for. Yeah. You know, some things just fell away forever. Right. Yes, thank you for teaching me all of those lessons, dysautonomia. <laughs> now please go away. Right. I've learned enough now. Please let me go back to being a blissful, ignorant person. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this preview of what's to come on In Sickness and In Health. We have a lot of great stuff coming up, so check out our episode celebrating Dysautonomia Awareness Month and subscribe and tune into the show in the future. You can find us at InSicknessPod.com and on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram at InSicknessPod. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Google+. We'll be posting updates and content related to the show on the In Sickness and In Health blog and on social media. If you can, take the time to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. It helps other people find the show. And don't forget to be excellent to yourselves and to each other.